Ding, ding. Describe your emotions and your approach coming into this game. Just came in to do my job. Do my job. This is what I'm supposed to do. Uh, give me a chance. Give me a chance to be great. I want to be great. So. Just happy that uh, I got the win. Uh, you can tell I'm not that excited because we got more to do. So uh, can't be happy about this, you know, enjoy the moment. But, uh, you know, it's going to be a series and we got to fight. We got to fight, fight, fight. Uh, job's not done. How about we can just watch basketball? How about we can just watch basketball? Hello and welcome to the Daily Ding on the Athletic NBA Show. I'm Dave DeFore here with Keith Parrish for your weekend update. Before we start, don't forget, if you don't already subscribe to The Athletic, you can get this podcast without ads by going to theathletic.com slash NBA show and signing up. Huge second weekend of the playoffs, Keith. Just all kinds of stuff happening. And we're going to start in Minnesota with a series that I know is close to your heart and it is close to mine. Minnesota and Memphis now tied up two games apiece, Keith. Uh, just right off the bat, how does it feel to be in a dogfight with the Minnesota Timberwolves? It doesn't feel great. They are tenacious, and I find it unpleasant uh, cheering against the Timberwolves. Now, the Timberwolves have been great. This is a 2-7 series. I'm consoling myself as someone who covers the Grizzlies with, hey, listen, most people or a lot of people, maybe a plurality Picked Grizzlies in six. And to get Grizzlies in six, it makes sense you might end up 2-2. But the way this series has gone, with the Timberwolves leading for most of it, there was a miraculous rally in game three where the Grizzlies stole one at Minnesota. Then game four, it was a very close game, but the Timberwolves were ahead a lot of it. It is The Timberwolves are everything the Grizzlies can handle, if not more, right now. Well, Carl Anthony Towns so far in the play-in and the playoffs had some high-profile, really awful games where he just didn't show up. He had a game where he only took four shots, Keith. Well, he showed up for game four, 42 minutes, 33 points, 14 of 17 from the line, 14 rebounds, three assists. Keith, Carl Anthony Towns looked like the guy that we thought was going to be one of the best bigs in the league in this game. He was forceful. He was creating offense for himself, and Minnesota was thriving when he had the ball. Yeah, he had a fantastic game. The Grizzlies, somewhat surprisingly, switched their starting lineup to have Xavier Tillman to come out, and they maybe thought he was a more versatile, better option on defense. But we saw an aggressive cat from the start, responding to that game three, he forced the officials to make a lot of calls early. And once those officials started blowing their whistles, they didn't quit. This game was basically three hours long. The most fouls, the Grizzlies had the most fouls called on them in the entire playoffs. It's the most foul fouls called in any team in a regulation game, uh, postseason game since 2019. Well, you were not the only person to recognize all the free throws that Minnesota took. They were. 31 of 40 in this game, and Grizzlies coach Taylor Jenkins had a lot to say about the referees. I mean, he's clearly going to be fined, but I, Keith, I cannot recall a coach that specifically going at the referees in the way that he did. I mean, he called them arrogant. Yeah, he used the word arrogant twice, and I would love to know more about that. I don't I know we're never going to find out more about that, but like was there a communication that the referees 
refuse to explain the calls they've made like to him i've tried to go back through because taylor jenkins specifically cited hey they they blew a whistle once before contact was made i haven't found this play if it's out there please let me know about this play but a lot of it i know i follow a lot of grizzlies fans and i'm they're talking to me about it you know they were just frustrated with the amount of calls there are some clearly some big ones where Desmond Bain was called for his fourth foul on a charging foul where he made the basket and the, the Grizzlies challenged it and it was overturned. And then 12 seconds or 14 seconds later in actual game time, they did the exact same call again and it was clearly incorrect again. And everyone's just like, what is going on here? I know Timberwolves fans are frustrated to hear about it. The Timberwolves, by the way, they've had the most fouls called on them of any team in this postseason. So the Timberwolves fans don't want to hear any part of it. Taylor Jenkins was just very upset, and the Grizzlies were battling foul trouble all night. A lot of guys finished with five fouls. Jaron fouls out. He's leading uh, all players in fouls this postseason. Yeah, and Jaron, on his sixth foul, it was very clearly not a foul. And, <laughs> and look, was, I, I don't want to be the yeah. anti-ref guy, but I think that Taylor Jenkins was, the way that he said it led me to believe he didn't feel like anyone was getting a good whistle. Not just the Grizzlies. He, he feels like the whistle in this series. And I think the data backs that up, Keith. John Hollinger wrote about this over at The Athletic. Fouls are up, and in this series in particular, they're up a tremendous amount from the regular season. So there's something there, but also you can't just sit at a press conference and go with the refs. Right. It, it has less to do, the Grizzlies issues right now, way less to do with the officiating. A lot of it has to do with John Morant. John Morant is struggling, and the concerning thing for Grizzlies fans is John Morant has struggled against the Timberwolves the entire season. John Morant, after Game 4, admitted he's still struggling with injury. He's not fully healed, he said, and that matches up what we're seeing with our eyes. His explosion is not there, but the Timberwolves have specifically been very good about guarding John Morant this entire season in four games at Minnesota this year, two regular season games and two postseason games, John Morant is shooting 29% from the field. He struggled in every single game against the Timberwolves. And if this keeps up, that's a very scary proposition for a Grizzlies fan like myself. Yeah, and uh, he's being targeted on the, the defensive end as well. He's just given up so much. I mean, Patrick Beverly going at, at Ja is not a great look. And and the one good thing for, for Memphis, I think, from this game is that Desmond Bain continues to cook. He was 8 of 12 from 3, 34 points. He's been the best player for this Grizzlies team in this series. He's the guy keeping him afloat. He really is. He joins Steph Curry and Klay Thompson as the only three players in NBA playoff history to have consecutive games with at least seven made three-pointers. So Bain's been cooking and carrying the Grizzlies, they just need more players to step up. Dylan Brooks has been hit or miss. Jaron's been basically off on the offensive end. And Jaws playing way under the level that we expect from him. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful design objects to wear. 
Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son, Evan, continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless, modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. What is the potential of this Utah group? Uh, talk. We just try to be the best team we can be. We try to enjoy the moment. And whatever happens, happens. In Salt Lake City, Rudy Gobert catches an alley-oop lob with 11 seconds left. And the Jazz hold off the Dallas Mavericks 100-99 to Saturday in Game 4 to tie up the series two games to two in spite of Luka Doncic's heroic return on that calf injury, Keith. Uh, Gobert had quite a night. Yeah, Gobert, who seems to be at the headlines of all the dysfunction or they're just the relationship problems that Jazz might have. A lot of question marks as they fall down you know, two games to one without Doncic. And here they are playing on their home court and they have to have this game and Doncic comes back and maybe moving even slower than normal. I don't know if that was injury related. Doncic had a very nice game and the Jazz were on the ropes. They do rally at the end and perhaps hearing the entire national criticism of the amount Donovan Mitchell has not been passing him the ball. It was poetic justice that the game winner was, in fact, a beautiful lob from Donovan Mitchell, who recognized that he'd drawn two defenders, had his guy for an easy free bucket if he just threw it towards the rim, and he completes the pass. Yeah, what's that like? Imagine what this offense could be. 17 points, 15 total rebounds, 10 offensive rebounds in this game for Rudy Gobert, and that is just the sort of dominance that that you can get from Rudy, especially against a team that, that's going to play small and a team in Dallas that had their bigs in foul trouble. Maxi Kleba just dominating as Maxi Terrence man Kleba in this series, hitting open threes, uh, big-time foul trouble for him in this game, and, and not surprising that Dallas kind of didn't have it going. It was interesting where it felt like the Jazz understood that Kleber was the key. Like, we have to get this guy in foul trouble. He's been destroying us in the first three games. And uh, with him not playing, yeah, you saw the Mavericks struggle a little bit. Also on the Jazz side, like, Jordan Clarkson had a huge game in game four, but they are really missing Mike Conley this series. Mike Conley is not playing what we expected. He's been incredible for them on the Jazz last season. Specifically, had an amazing year. You know, we finally made the All-Star game. He's one of, like, the key ingredients to this team work, and, and it used to be, like, the secret weapon. is like, all right, hey, we'll have Mike, Mike Conley and Gobert and then some bench players, and they'll just smash people. And that hasn't been there for the Jazz. Maybe going all the way back to the Joe Ingles injury, we can blame that. But in this playoff series specifically, they're not getting what they need for Conley. I think they're lucky to be 2-2, but now like you, Luke, you look at this series, much like the Timberwolves-Grizzlies series, if it's 2-2, man, race to three, anything can happen. It felt like the Mavericks taking those two wins without Doncic were, were just rolling, but winning this close one-point game, now suddenly we have a series and it feels like anything can happen. Yeah, and Luca in his return looked pretty good. Had 30 points, 10 rebounds. He's actually probably his team's best rebounder. So, huge game from him. And that was something I was worried about Dallas struggling with in this series without him. And so, you know, good to see him able to contribute right away coming back. Uh, what do you think about Luca? And has this series, is it going to change now that he's out there and he's got a game under his belt? You know, I, I'm not sure how much it changes. I mean, the immediate 
the way that the Mavericks players were playing without him, you know, you were inspired. Brunson looked incredible. But then Doncic returns. I don't know how that affects just the overall chemistry of the players, the way they interact. Like, Dinwiddie had a very subpar game in game four. Clearly, Doncic is the most talented of their players, but, you know, what's the fit going to be and how does that interact in the final three games? And with the pressure ratcheted up, in a game five, you know, I'm not, I can't say I know what I'm going to see. I'm, I'm definitely going to be watching. I'm curious to see how they react. And also again, going to the jazz part of it, it feels like this is a team kind of fighting for their identity. Like, do they want to keep playing together? Do they want to keep going forward in this direction as a franchise. It kind of felt like no, but then you win that game four and suddenly you're back on level footing in new Orleans. We have a tale of two games, Keith, on Friday, Chris Paul put on a masterclass in the fourth quarter, scored 19 of his 20 points in the fourth as the Suns took a 2-1 lead, winning that game 114-111 to in spite of no Devin Booker out there. DeAndre Ayton just completely dominant on Friday, 28-17. and uh, They win that game by three, um, but I thought the Suns looked like the Phoenix Suns minus Devin Booker. Do you agree there, Keith? Well, you just see Chris Paul. I mean, he he did it when it mattered in that game on Friday, and he's been basically flawless, literally flawless. I think he might have committed a turnover in the fourth quarter on Sunday. It was the first fourth quarter turnover of the series for Chris Paul. Well, this is why it's a story of two games, because on Sunday, the Pelicans defended home court. They they beat the Suns 118-103. to Keith, the series is now tied 2-2. This is a 1-8 series. We thought the Suns might sweep, and of course, no one suspected they would lose Devin Booker, but a 2-2 series, and in particular, Keith, the way that New Orleans won this game on Sunday, I thought, could be demoralizing for Phoenix. Chris Paul, not great. 2 of 8 from the field, 4 points, 3 turnovers. Did have 11 assists in this game. I mean, it is Chris Paul. He can get things done. But not a great offensive game from him, Keith. Yeah, Chris Paul in the fourth quarter on Sunday goes scoreless, turns the ball over twice. And I don't know if it's demoralizing, but at the very least, it was inspiring the way the Pelicans played. A swarming defense. They were active everywhere. You had Valanchunas doing huge things. But, like, Brandon Ingram has been revelatory like the guy looks like one of the best players in the NBA I know he's made an all-star game before but I've never seen this Brandon Ingram and like maybe it's the confidence exuded by a veteran such as CJ McCollum like that he gives him a little bit more but like this Pelicans team is playing really well together and I don't know if the Suns are on the ropes but missing Devin Booker you don't want to be at 2-2 you have both the top two seats in the Western Conference tied up 2-2 not exactly what everyone expected Yeah, 30 points for Brandon Ingram, 7 of 10 from the line. Had a really big dunk in traffic, Keith. And, I mean, it was something about a guy built like Brandon Ingram dunking in traffic that's kind of awesome. And then I I really love that he sneaks the smile in on his way up uh, to to get back on defense. And then you got Herb Jones and Jose Alvarado just causing chaos for the Suns. The eight-second violation forced on Chris Paul in the fourth quarter just an absolute highlight for her Alvarado. That guy is so inspiring, so much fun to watch. Another guy who's been huge for the Pelicans in the play-in and now in the playoff games, Larry Nance Jr. Like, this is a guy who, you know, has battled injury a lot in his career, was sort of forgotten in Portland, didn't play that much. 
was part of that C.J. McCollum trade, and he's been huge this postseason for the Pelicans. The, the Pelicans actually kind of tweaked their rotation a little bit in this game. They moved Valanchunas some to make sure he played all the minutes against JaVale McGee, or at least most of the minutes against JaVale McGee, and JV just cooked in that opportunity, and that also let Larry Nance play a little bit more defense. Maybe he's a little bit more quicker, able to handle Aiton. I mean, Aiton was a beast, was basically unguardable in this game, but that little... You know, it's another adjustment from Willie Green and the Pelicans, and, and you get the victory. And again, it's now a race to three, you know, a race to two wins, just three games to go. This Pelicans team is playing with so much confidence, and the pressure has to all be on Phoenix. A couple of games in Chicago for the Bucks. No Chris Middleton and Keith, no problem. Oh, the Bulls did not put up much of a fight in their two home games. I thought the Bulls were back, Dave. What happened? Well, in those two games in Chicago, Giannis happened. He was a combined plus 48, Keith. That's why the guy is an MVP. I mean, he was pretty nuts in both games. And we're, we're going to focus a little bit on the Sunday matchup where he had 32 points, 17 rebounds, and 7 assists, Keith. Just MVP type stuff from Giannis Antetokounmpo. But can we talk about Chris? I don't know if he's a replacement, but Chris Middleton's fill-in, his proxy over the last two games, Grayson Allen in the last two games, averaging 24 and a half points. He dropped seven threes on Sunday. He's made 11 of 14 in the last two games. Just having a blast out there, Grayson, shooting the cover off the ball and uh, blowing the bulls out of the water. Yeah, 27 points on Sunday, 6 of 7 from 3, 10 of 12 overall. A lot of wide-open shots, Keith. And look, we thought that losing Chris Middleton was going to be a huge loss for them, and it clearly is. I mean, he's been their best three-point shooter. But if Grayson Allen's going to shoot 11 of 14 from 3 every couple games... Uh, they're not going to have a lot of trouble there, are they? Yeah, and especially by Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis, who had kind of a slow end to the regular season. He, he's he been really cooking. Maybe he's enjoying playing against the team he used to be on. Little bit of a revenge scenario. Yeah, a lot of guys are stepping up for the Bucks, and unfortunately the flip side is Zach Levine does not seem okay for the Bulls, and their season kind of... I don't know, coming to a, a little bit of a screeching halt, not being able to get one of those games at home. Yeah, DeRozan scores 23, goes 0 of 5 from 3, some desperation threes when they were down late. Uh, Nikola Vucevic, not great. 11 points, 10 rebounds, 5 of 14 from the field. And, and you said it, look, man, the Bucks just have more talent than this team, even without Chris Middleton. And having the best player probably in the Eastern Conference in Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, it's just too much for the Bulls. Seemed to kind of sniff out that law late. Um, yeah. Was that the like you know number one option on that play? And I guess, I mean, we'll just take me through that. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I would like that play call back, frankly. Keith, something happened in the Warriors Nuggets game that has not ever happened before. Stephen Curry. Missed four free throws, man. What is going on with Stephen Curry in the free throws? The Denver Nuggets now have won a game, securing at least the gentleman sweep with a 126-121 to home victory by the Nuggets. You had Nikola Jokic doing what he does, 
37 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists, 7 turnovers though, Keith. Draymond Green, I thought, did a great job on Jokic. And the Warriors almost won this game, even though the Nuggets controlled it for most of it. Yeah, you had a Warriors team that looks like, I don't know, are they... They kind of look like the favorite in the West right now. They've played so well, but you give the Nuggets credit. Like This is a team that when their back has been against the wall each of the last three seasons, they find a way to win. Jokic now 8-3 and three when facing elimination in the playoffs, despite how well Draymond played. Uh, you know, he drops 37 points on um, 14 for 21 field goal attempts. I mean, I know people are like watching him lose the first three games and that annoying MVP conversation pops up again. But Jokic is leading all players in scoring in the postseason. He's doing everything he can. Finally, in a game like this on Sunday, like Monte Morris steps up huge and uh, the Nuggets finally get a taste of victory this postseason. Well, we want to. We need to lay out what happened at the end of the game. The Warriors had mounted a big comeback. Stephen Curry was just cooking. I mean, he pulls up from deep, except for the free throw points, line, Dave. Except for the free throw line, where he's <laughs> just gone cold for some reason. Uh, the Warriors had the ball down to with 32 seconds left, sideline out of bounds. Steve Kerr's bread and butter. He's so great at this. During the prime time of the Warriors' run, we know all their ATO plays by name. Well, Keith, I'm not sure what they call this lob pass to Andrew Wiggins, but Nikola Jokic certainly knows this play from the sideline. They took him out. He he got a defensive sub, and Nikola Jokic and it was caught on camera, and this was fantastic television, Keith. He calls out the lob play. Austin Rivers blows it up, and uh, that's basically your ball game because Nikola Jokic comes down on the other end, Michael Malone puts the ball in his superstar's hands out of the pick and roll. He finds an open Will Barton for the corner three, ices the game, game over, put the ball in your star's hands, Keith. You say put the ball in your star's hands, which I agree with. I still cannot get over Michael Malone. He's done this for years, subbing out Jokic on defensive possessions. I have difficulty handling that. I think Jokic is the, he's their best player by far. Live and die with Jokic. But this time it works out. Jokic from the sideline, subbed out for the defensive play, calls out the lob. Austin Rivers gets a lot of credit for the defensive play, knocking it away. But let's be real, Dave. That pass was terrible. That was a terrible, underthrown pass. Even knowing the lob was coming, you should be able to put that ball high enough where Wiggins can catch that easily uh, over Austin Rivers. So, yeah, Otto Porter, come on now. That was the not only reason, where the pass needed to be. The only reason, Keith, that Otto Porter's throwing that pass because Draymond Green actually fouled out yes. right before that. So your best passer out of the game. Look, man, it's a bad play call. Steve Curry even said he wished he had it back. Run something for Steph Curry. It's not that hard. Well, just Steph Curry, who's been you know playing the sixth-man role. We're making fun of him missing four free throws for the first time in his career. He finished with 33 points. Not only that... Clay Thompson was in full splash brother mode. Clay Thompson made seven three pointers, also scored over 30 points. To have the game come down to Otto Porter trying to throw a lob to Andrew Wiggins when you have Steph and Clay in full Steph Clay mode, that's a hard way to lose for the Warriors, who had the opportunity, if they had won this game, to have at least a minimum of seven days off, like until until the next game start. So, you know. Not exactly what they wanted, uh, but now they have to play another game. They have to get a victory. I guess, again, a tenacious Denver team 
who has a history of coming back from 3-1. We know no one's come back from 3-0, but like Nick Nurse said, once you win one, you're just down 3-1, and plenty of teams have done that. Uh, we're going to quickly run through the remaining three series that we haven't touched. They're just less competitive, let's be honest. Brooklyn looks like they are toast, Keith. They lose 109-103. to They're down 3-0 to the Celtics. That Celtics defense looks amazing. And oh yeah, Keith, they got Robert Williams back and he looks totally great. Also, Kyrie Irving said, you know, it's just a tough break that his team hasn't been able to practice together that much this year. So, whoops. That's too bad. How could they have gotten more practice time? Well, I don't know. Maybe players were available. He said the Celtics players were available. They could practice together. That's just a tough break. Hey, tough yeah. break for the for the Nets. The super team not looking like it's working out, and the Celtics might be the title favorite. I don't know if that's too uh, bold of a statement, but they look incredible. Well, they might have the guy who's had the best playoff run so far in Jason Tatum. 39 points, 6 assists, 5 rebounds. Uh, the guy has been all over the place offensively and defensively has played some of the best individual defense I've ever seen on Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant only scored 16 points in this game, continues to struggle. The Boston defense just making his life a living hell, Keith. And at this point, you know, this series is likely over. It's a 3-0 series. You got to start wondering about what Brooklyn's going to do next year. And I don't want to go there, but, man, this series has really put a lot of eyeballs on how far Kevin Durant's athleticism has slipped since the Achilles injury. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough ask. It's a tough ask for, it feels like their offense a lot of times is just roll the ball out there. And to do that against a Celtics team that has Jason Tatum playing so well and all these other excellent team defenders, you got the deep player of the year in Marcus Smart. It's a big ask. And so far, the Nets have not been up to it. Durant, as you alluded to, you know, he's averaging 22 points per game for the series. Those aren't Kevin Durant numbers, and, and his his field goal percentage uh, under 40% is not what we expect. Like, they cannot do it. Just Kyrie and KD together. You have to have a team. You have to have more going on. You can't just say we're going to beat you with individual brilliance, especially when you're playing a team as good at defense as the Celtics squad is. The Raptors picked up a win in their series against the Sixers, uh, but we're going to talk a little bit of thumbs-down news first, Keith. An MRI has confirmed that Joel Embiid has a torn ligament in his right thumb, and he's going to need surgery in the offseason to address it. Now, Keith, this is bad news because he's an MVP candidate. He's their best player. He's one of the two or three best guys in the East. Uh, you have to start thinking, oh, crap, there goes our title chance. If he can't be 100%, how are they going to win, Keith? Yeah, not knowing exactly how the thumb you know, affects his ability to perform in game four, you saw him grimacing a lot. There were a lot of instances where he was shaking the thumb. He was doing things with the thumb. So if that makes him worse in any way, yeah, that's another brutal blow. And it's another just kind of rough break for Joel, who's had a number of random injury issues pop up. Um, you know, even after the big ones in the postseason, he, he's had to deal with a lot of different injuries over the years. Yeah, and against a team like the Raptors, you know, if you've got an issue with your hand, that's going to be a problem. They they kind of they tend to swarm bigs, and Joel Embiid, no different. They actually found a lot of success in this game, sending the double. Pascal Siakam scored 15 of his 34 in the fourth. Gary Trent Jr. had 24. And, Keith, this is sort of the blueprint 
that we thought we would see more of. It just wasn't as successful in the first three games. Uh, it's probably too little too late, but this is plenty for the Raptors to build on going forward. It could be, and the Raptors have their own issues. You know, Fred Van Vliet, we're not sure his status for Game 5. What the Raptors fans are clinging to is just knowing that, like, Doc Rivers' coach teams have struggled closing teams out before. He's one of the only coaches to ever blow multiple two-game leads in playoff series, so that's what they're clinging to. I assume the Sixers, it's just they're going to be too much. Like, Tobias Harris has had a really nice series. You know, Maxie's playing well. Harden has played, you know, well, and Embiid is incredible. So it seems like it'll be enough, but just winning that one gives the team a glimmer of, the ho a glimmer of hope, and maybe the Raptors can, uh, you know, if they win game five, then all, suddenly, then all of a sudden that pressure switches once again, and Sixers and their fans get extremely tense. In Atlanta, Trey Young hits a floater with about four seconds left on Friday night to give the Hawks a win, bring the series to 2-1. And then on Sunday, Keith, they got Clint Capella back from injury. And I come into this game thinking, oh, no, Atlanta might catch the heat. Kyle Lowry's out with a hamstring injury. They were just primed for a loss. But the Hawks didn't show up, Keith, and the, the Heat really blew them out. Their defense was fantastic. They went on a 26-4 run in the second quarter, and the game was basically over at that point, Keith. Yeah, the Hawks struggle with their attempt to try to level this out. I don't know if they thought they'd have a better advantage without Kyle Lowry, but it seemed like a listless performance from Atlanta. Now what you want to see, once again, Trey Young with his second really poor game of this series already. Maybe there's some murmurs of him being slightly banged up, not being able to play at full capacity. But the Heat have done this all season. Next man up, just figure out the lineup, figure it out. Even in this one, like Victor Oladipo played 23 minutes, and that isn't necessarily something we all expected, that he would be playing in a, in a playoff rotation. But like the Heat have just continued to function as a team and whoever's available, they play, and now they have the, the Hawks on the brink of elimination. Atlanta's point of attack defense, and hell, their entire perimeter defense was a turnstile in this game. It, it, Oladipo plays 23 minutes. He only scored six points. He was plus 28 off the bench because he was just making stuff happen. Jimmy Butler is one of the most frustrating guys as an analyst to, to just talk about because when the playoffs start, he just goes for 36 points. He, he hits threes, 10 rebounds in this game, four assists, four steals, another fantastic playoff performance for Jimmy Butler, Keith. Yeah, Jimmy had the opportunity to win it on Friday. Maybe could have found another shooter, not necessarily known as the shooter himself, Jimmy is, but he makes up for it on Sunday, which is a massive game. One of those stat lines where you're like, whoa, and you got four steals? Like, the guy is incredible. He's an absolute gamer who does this time and time again in the postseason. Well, that's going to do it for today's show, folks. Hope you guys have a great start to your week. Keith, get out of here. Ding, ding. <laughs>